Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, dedicated to making you a better seller. Recorded 4,827 miles across the Atlantic Ocean with Bobby Das from Houston, Texas, a father, husband, golfer, pilot, and tech seller. And Brian Evans, an expat in London, England, family man, 2X Ironman, and an ERP salesman. Both sharing tried and true sales strategies and providing free tools to make each week and campaign easier for you. They also answer your questions weekly. Now, here is Bobby and Brian. Thanks for joining us, everybody. This is part two of actually our first episode on career development. We were afraid that the first stage was going to take too long and bleed into an hour, so we broke it up. Yesterday, we talked about a whole lot of good things as it relates to your career development. We talked about the four stages, contribute dependently, contribute independently, contribute strategically, and contributing through others. We started off and and we talked through the three most important concepts. We We covered earn trust yesterday, and today we're going to talk about the feedback machine and nailing your job, along with a deliverable that we're going to provide for you at the end of today as well. Brian, why don't we jump right in and talk about how to be a feedback machine? Let's do it. Bobby, to you, what does is, what is being a feedback machine mean to you? Well, it means a lot, but I can assure you I wasn't very good at it early on in my career. I thought I knew a lot more than I knew, and I took a little bit of that feedback uh, for granted. But I think it is listening to what everyone has to say around you and making sure you understand it. What, like, what, did, what impact did that have, Bobby? The fact that you say you didn't take the feedback early on. What what impact did that have in, early in your career? Well, I think it might have delayed things by a year or two. I probably didn't get my first manager job, maybe stepping towards week three or four there. But I don't think I got my first manager's job because I missed some feedback and didn't do some self-reflection. I'm sure way early on when I was that apprentice at that small tech company that I didn't listen to people. It's every word of feedback. I do think I tried to work harder than most and outperform those and really made sure my boss knew that I was had their best interest in mind, not my own. Um, but I think everyone's getting feedback all the time. It's not always as direct as it might be, need to be for some of us, but we're, we're getting it all the time. Uh, I would say every conversation that I have with a peer, I'm probably hinting that they should be doing something to help a customer or help me or the virtual team. And some hear it and some don't. So it really is listen, give it, get it, and then also give it so that uh, you, you can make the whole team better, not just yourself. Yeah, there are all kinds of tricks to this. There are some, this is, it was hard for me to give feedback. I'm, I'm somewhat introverted, Bobby, so it's hard for me sometimes to, early in my career, it was hard for me to tell people things that were on my mind unless it was positive stuff. So one thing that helped me overcome this and get a lot better at giving the tough feedback to other people so they could develop and, and, and they take what they want, right? The fact that I give anyone feedback doesn't mean you take that and, and run with it. Uh, you have to decide what you do with this, this gift of feedback. You can, you can trash it or you can establish it. But one thing I did, one trick I did that helped me give other people feedback was I would give two positives and a, and a challenge to them or a negative. This is a common one. So I'd say, oh, so-and-so, you you did a fantastic job in the kickoff of this meeting. And, man, I really think you drove home a great point about, um, about this point about their business. 
um, how do you think we could get better at X, Y, or Z? So then you've kind of lifted them up a little bit so they know that you're proud of the effort they put into it, but you're also helping them reflect on something they could do better. So yeah, I think I've heard some people call that a poo-poo sandwich, and I've gotten many of those where you put really bad news right between two good pieces of news. And sure. That, that's a sandwich that comes across. I've heard a few of those myself, so I know what you're saying. And if you're getting those, if you're getting poo-poo sandwiches, I like that. Let's use that. Let's stick with that. Then know what the bad feedback is there, and then decide what you're going to do with that quote-unquote gift, because it is a gift. You have to look at it as a gift. Decide. Don't be offended by it. Take it. Take it as it comes. Decide, are you going to implement this? Uh, ask questions about it. Sometimes Mike, you know, our, our good good manager we had, uh, Mike Porter, would always say people, you know, feedback is a gift, and sometimes they wrap it up in duct tape and they throw it at you, and it's on you to unwrap all this duct tape and to figure out what, what it is this, what is this feedback they've given me. Uh, be that introspective when people are trying to, to, to share feedback with you. Yeah, I, I do. I will reiterate what Brian's saying, that it is a gift Look, he, he just explained how hard it was for him as a leader and a manager to give that feedback, but he knew the value of it to the mentees that he's giving it to, but it's not easy for people to give the feedback. So if you take it wrongly, put yourself in that other person's shoes. It wasn't easy, so accept it as a gift for sure. You got you got you know, we all work with people that are, or have worked with people that are jerks, right? You know the people that are just given fat, bad feedback because that's just the kind of person they are, right? They're looking for the negatives. When, you, when you're working with someone that's genuinely out looking for your best and they're trying to give you feedback, man, that is a genuine gift. Treat it as such. Sorry. Go no ahead. question. So let's assume you're in a spot um, and you're not getting a lot of feedback. What's a few ideas of how you might find some feedback, Brian? So I'd say, Bobby, one of the things, and we, we've talked about this on a, on a previous podcast, the, the first thing I said to you when, uh, when you were my manager at Microsoft, um, and the same thing I say to every manager I've ever worked for, is that it is my expectation that I'm the number one guy on your team, and I'm going to work hard to get there, and I'm going to work hard to stay there. If I'm ever not performing up to those expectations, Bobby, I need you to let me know. Yeah, so asking for it is the most obvious way, for sure, and that's a, that's a, that's a big, bold way to ask for it. Um, let's assume that that doesn't go over well. My, my biggest trick has always been to, to seek out a mentor, find a mentor, find some peer mentors that could be told that where the uncomfortable manager that won't give you the feedback and sugarcoats everything's not working. Well, I still want to get better. Nadine said it in her uh, interview a few weeks back that she just wants people to tell her how she can do better. Great way to do that. But it's not it's not out of the realm that you call and ask someone to be your peer mentor, tell them how you're going to manage it, that you're seeking out feedback. You want them to tell you what you could do better because you do want to get better. And I can tell you, I still have mentors today that have become customers that have become uh, managers who've become leaders. And I can tell you because we were mentor mentees, uh, it's paid dividends for my career as well. Yeah, I agree. And uh, Bobby, if you're, if you're in this stage, what, what kind of mentor should you be seeking out? Like tactically speaking, what traits or characteristic, other than the feedback that you would hope that person, he or she would give you, what job might they be in? Let's say you're a junior account executive for a company. This is your first first or second gig in sales, but you're still pretty young at it. What kind of person should you be looking for to reach out to as a mentor? 
Yeah, I, tell, I think I tell the same story all the time, but there's really four stages of mentorship that I would want to seek out, and I never would have known this back in those early days of my career. But I want someone who's just in front of me. That might mean a lot of different things to everybody else, but in this in this entry-level role, junior AE, I want the AE that's a junior AE but six months newer, six been, month, been on the job six months longer than I have and has a little bit more experience so I can bounce ideas off of they're not so smart that they're going to not want to spend time with me, and, and I'm going to be able to provide them a little bit of value along the way as well. That's one. Number two, obviously the AE around me that, that's got two years on me, who's had some success, who's seen as a leader or a contributor. I want that AE to be a mentor to me. And then the similar roles probably outside of my organization, meaning if I'm in Houston working for a company your example was soft choice. You're in Dallas is soft choice. Well, I want the same level of, of mentee or mentor, sorry, in another city so that they have a different management structure, different set of best practices, different industries that they're working on so that they can share stories with me that I'm not going to get from my home base. Yeah. I like it. I think, I think one of the big things I learned in this too, when I was, when I was early on, even second stage in my career, um, was I'd come over prepared with things about me and, and less about what I wanted to learn from them. So a big aha moment for me when I was at Microsoft and I was sitting down with the, with the gentleman I still talk to is uh, I just came prepared with a list of questions. I dropped the PowerPoint deck about all the good things that I thought Brian contributed to the business. Um, it was, it, it lacks so much self-awareness thinking back on it. Now I, you know, one of those cringeworthy thoughts that go back and I just had a list of 10 questions for him. And I sat down with Eddie and um, I just started on the list, you know, and, and asked him about his career and his success and how, how should I be thinking about this? How did you think about this? And it led to this like hour and a half conversation. And he left that room and there's really, in my mind, there's no better outcome. He left that room liking me. It's because it's kind of the how to win friends and influence people. Although I didn't, I didn't rationalize that at the point at that time is he left that room with the honest opinion. And it was very honest that I wanted to be like him and I do. And I, and I, I did, and I do today want to be like him. So he became a huge sponsor for me in the business that paid major dividends for me later in my career. So we've covered the first two earning trust and being a feedback machine. What's the third one when you're in this career stage that we're calling contribute dependently. Yep. So the first one was earning trust. The second one was be a feedback machine. The third one, Bobby, is nailing your job. So um, have you been in a situation, not going to say you don't have to name in your current company, you've been in a situation where you're sitting in the room, everyone's laying out their territory plan, maybe explaining, maybe it's a quarterly update on the business and somebody that hasn't closed a diamond business or has closed very little business all of a sudden describes to the rest of the room who may may have closed a lot of business how broken the sales process is or how bad a certain product is. Oh, of course. It, it, the insanity of it, the lack of self-awareness of it, it, it reeks. It, you will, you talk about establishing your brands poorly early on. That is the number one way to do it in my eyes. Well, you, you shared it in another example about someone who thought they were doing all the right activities, but clearly wasn't closing any business. I could talk for days on 
every little interaction from being an engineer to a, a support desk person to a sales rep where people had all kinds of reasons that they weren't able to accomplish their job, but they weren't doing a lot of the things that the successful people around them were doing. Um, it's a lot of excuses. It's a lot of not working hard. It's a lot of not putting in the extra hours. Um, to you people out there that carry two phones, I use you as an example, but you know, Big Brothers knows who you are no matter what. And when you set your work phone down at the end of the day, there's five people that want your job that are carrying their work phone with them. And I think that's just one little attribute that says, you know, nail your job and be your job. 24-7 with the reality of there is a work-life balance mix, but know what you're doing, know your job, follow processes. Brian, give us some examples that you think are important to this, again, first-year rep of what they should be doing to nail their job. Bobby, the first thing is nail the job as the goals are laid out. Don't be the guy that's trying to rebuild the sales process week five into the job. Um you're working, you work for a company, presumably you work for a company that has had many successful sales executives uh, around the country, maybe across the world. You sitting down in a quarterly meeting trying to restructure how, how the sales process is done or saying that a metric isn't fair or saying that an activity doesn't lead to a sale falls on deaf ears. Nail the job as the job is described. If, it, if you're in inside sales, and you're, it's your job to make a hundred, I'm just making up a number, make a hundred phone calls a week, establish, you know, 10 prospect meetings, uh, convert two of those to a sales opportunity, nail the job as it stands. Do, do not try to reconfigure the sales process. Do not try to say, hey, look, I can make 80 phone calls and get to those two outcomes. Make a hundred calls and get three opportunities out of the thing. But Brian, I made a hundred phone calls and I could only get one meeting. Good. What do I do then? Yeah. Well, it sounds like your ratios are bad and you need to make 200 phone calls or get better at making calls. You don't think the company's wrong? You don't think the company's <laughs> messed something up? It's, it's These are me. real, yeah, these are real conversations, Bobby. Like we wouldn't be bringing this up if we didn't hear it all the time. So, so nail the job as it stands. I had great advice for a guy that went, Bobby, when we were managing regions at Microsoft, he was one of the managers at Microsoft too. And when I when I joined a company that we we both worked at, um, he said uh, he said Brian, uh, we're we're measured on this this one activity. If if you if you are average in this in this, and we always talk about average being the enemy. If you're average in this category, you're wasting your time. Be three times more productive in this activity than the rest of the team. And I, I took that to heart, and from week one, that was me in the job. And it's led to great results. So so know the metrics, nail the job as it's laid out. If you think you have the job and the metrics figured out in the first five weeks and you think they're wrong, you're being naive. You're, you're lacking self-awareness because you don't understand the complexity of the business and why some of these metrics have been put in place. If you're five years on the job, three years on the job, and you crush it every single year, Good. You're in a later stage, and now you can start to give some feedback on what processes should be measured and changed. Yeah, there's always a large set of administrative tasks that fall on these newer employees within these organizations as well. And no one cares that you don't like to do them. No one cares that they're painstaking and they might not be providing you the value that you want them to provide you. But you, 
nail them as described, as metrics. You know, keep your CRM, your customer relationship management system up to date. Make your forecast tighter than everyone else's on the team. I would still say at this stage in my career, my boss will stand up in front of a group and cry almost, at, not physically cry, but will cry almost every Monday morning that our sales force is not up to date. So from your first job and your first role, knock down those metrics, have your call notes in the system, have your calls in the system, have your opportunities at the right stage, and make sure your documentation and systems are cleaner than most. It will pay dividends long-term in your career. And, and it's, it's good. It's, you, you talk about knowing what's important to your manager because you were a manager. Uh, know what is important to your manager and what things he's, he or she is having to feed upstairs to. Know what day they have their forecast call. If you're a sales manager or if you're a sales rep and you're managing 20 opportunities and you know your sales manager has an executive meeting on Friday morning to talk about the pipeline, how how great would it be to send an email late on Thursday, Bobby? Yeah, of course, Salesforce is up to date, so maybe include a link to Salesforce, but summarize the five deals that you're working on and where you're at in the sales process. Of Just, course, it would be extremely valuable to that manager. And I would even say in today's world, at a higher level account manager, he probably sends that email asking for that information 10 times, gets it from a third of the group, and is yes. just frustrated all of the time. So it's not hard to be the shining star in that organization when you do what is expected of you to do. Yep, and you're nailing the job at the same time. So, uh, look, I, I think the last point here is that, um, is that you need to be an expert at something, Bobby. For me, um, it, we talked about my first days, my early days at Soft Choice in my sales career. And, and for me, this was being an expert in Microsoft. Anybody that's in this world that has worked with as a partner to Microsoft or works for Microsoft or has some sort of ties to Microsoft knows that the licensing scheme is, is difficult to understand. For me, my biggest differentiator is that I knew the licensing program inside and out. And, and Bobby, you'll remember when Microsoft launched the, the eCal, the Enterprise Cal. Mm. It's basically like a suite of technologies that you could like you could license one product, but it would give you a whole bundle of eight or 12 or 15 products. Seven. Seven. There you go. That's impressive. <laughs> it would give you seven products. There, there was no one in Dallas that knew the eCal as well as I did. No one. Even I knew But they all even. had access to the same information you did, right? Yes. It was on the freaking website, Bobby. Like you didn't even have to be a registered partner to understand this. And, and so for me, it was, I was the go-to guy for the eCal. And, and guess what I called? Uh, guess who I called in the Dallas market? I called every customer that had this agreement and said, hey, has your, uh, has your other partner company told you about this enterprise, Cal? There's some changes in Microsoft licensing. Wouldn't it be interesting to learn more about this? I was, expertise I was, is valuable. Expertise is valuable. Be an expert at something, whether it's, whether it's artificial intelligence, you know, if you're selling a, a solution that has a, a, a mechanism of artificial intelligence or blockchain or, or Microsoft, be the expert at something that's interesting to a prospective customer. No doubt. And I'll even say it doesn't have to be something new, bleeding edge. No. If you're just an expert, people will want to talk to you. And it's not that hard to be an expert nowadays. It takes time, but if you have that time to give, you can become an expert even in that first year of your career. No doubt. I, 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 recent example of this, I, we, we, uh, 
published this great 32-page documents on the insurance industry within my company. And I, we had an insurance meeting. We had a, a meeting with a company that's in the insurance business. Well, it's, I, I don't have expertise in this, but we have this 32-page documents that told us everything we needed to know about the, the capabilities we had in that industry. I read that document back cover to, or front cover to back cover on the train ride in uh, with the meeting in the afternoon. And I was an expert in that business by the time we got there in the customer's mind. No question. It's funny. It brings back memories of when I was a cop a month ago, and then I was at this IT company a month later, and my wife doesn't understand what I'm doing. A lot of what I was doing, I didn't really understand, but I had ways that I was getting up to speed. A year goes by, and I kind of know more. She knows more. But I seem to be reading a white paper, a six, seven, eight-page document every night as I laid in bed. And she's like, why are you always reading one of those? And I said, literally, back in those days, I had enough awareness to say, no one else is reading this one, and I'm going to be smarter than everybody else. And it was true. I always read one more white paper than everybody else. I got a little bit smarter than everybody else. And hence, I was an expert long before my peers were. And I had lot, a lot less time than them, but there's always a chance in tech sales to catch up. In 24 months from now, if you start reading today, you'll be just as smart as everybody else in the field on what's current, guaranteed. Excellent. I love it. Um, great stories here. So pick something pick something you're passionate about, pick something you enjoy doing and be an expert at it. Who knows? It could, what, what it turned out for me is I sold the first two eCal deals in Dallas and then Microsoft offered me a job within six months of that. So it, it could, it could turn into something. I mean, that was for me, that was effectively doubling my compensation. So be an expert at something. Uh, so Bobby, the last part of this, uh, this podcast, we're going to talk about uh, what five questions should we be asking ourselves per quarter. And this is something that's going to be in the show notes, but we're obviously uh, um, also going to have a tracker workbook that we're going to provide as part of this series too. So uh, what five questions should you be asking yourself every quarter? And, and you should be documenting this as well. The first one is, who am I? And don't lie about it. Who am I? Am I somebody that that enjoys that enjoys getting up and presenting in front of a group? Uh, somebody that loves the preparation and research? Um, somebody that um, loves to uh, be a teammate to someone else that's that's leading the show. Um, know know yourself and don't lie about it because it's only going to um, the quicker you can be honest with yourself on this, the quicker you're going to have a quick uh, a sharper path to whatever it is you're trying to accomplish longer term in your career. Yeah, the only thing that I would add there is some other things that might not be short term, but maybe longer term. Are you mobile? Are you willing to move? Are you yes? Um, are, are you scared of X, Y, and Z? A lot of times, I think people that were engineers that become tech sellers, they're afraid to talk about money. Say that. Write that down. Then find a way to work on it. Uh, it will pay dividends long term. The next question that we have on this list is, what can I do well? And there's a lot of things, but if you listen to Phil Wilhelm's interview from two weeks ago, he said that his mindset was about do more of that, and that being the things that you're really, really good at. So find what you do well, understand those things, and do that. Do more of those things. But write them down, and again, be honest about them. Yeah, and, and, and 
if you enjoy doing these things, you're going to get better and better and better at it. Bobby, there's a book. What's the name of the book that it talks about? It's Strength Finders, basically. Yes. Focusing on the things that you're good at, the things that you do well, and ignoring the rest of it. If you can, and it's it's a lot. You'll you'll find that a lot of sales managers will focus on their top reps because their production is going to be exponentially stronger than the rest of the team. This fits very much into what you do professionally and what you do well professionally. So know what it is you do well. Focus on that. Do more of that, as Phil says. Yeah, and if you're not really sure, we'll refer back to Strength Finders 2.0. It's a book. We'll put it in the show notes. For 18 bucks. you can buy the book and get a free assessment of your strengths. It's a quiz. It's a, a or B. Do I like money more than I like fishing? Do I, you know, There's just a bunch of A, B questions that you answer. You have to pick one. You only have two seconds to answer. And at the end of it, it'll... It'll give you a personality assessment of what your natural strengths are, assuming you answer those things honestly. And I think I've given that book and that survey to everybody that's ever worked for me in a sales capacity just so that I can understand their strengths and and ask them to do more of those things and not give them the work that is one of their weaknesses. Yep. Bobby, the third one here is what do I enjoy doing? Start measuring what it is you do and don't enjoy professionally. I think for me, uh, I, I'm really good at convincing myself. I'm, I'm incredibly strong at convincing myself of things. So I have to, whenever I get it myself into a role or an activity that I don't, I truly don't enjoy doing, um, and I'm, I can find myself two years later saying, oh, you know, it wasn't that bad. But if you've documented this stuff and document why you don't enjoy doing those things, you're going to set yourself up to not put yourself in that same old position of doing something you don't enjoy doing professionally. Start doing this early. No doubt. That'll pay dividends when you're down the road and you're looking for that other job and you find out that that one thing you hated two years ago is 80% of this new role. You you shouldn't take that role. Um, be very careful about those things and don't let yourself be convinced. And then don't focus on the little mundane things. You're, some of those things you're going to have to do in every role, updating your sales force, et cetera. That doesn't necessarily count. But uh, driving, uh, doing marketing events might be something that would tell you later on in life that you don't want to be a marketer. Yep. So, so uh, the third and fourth one are what activities do I enjoy doing? What activities do I not enjoy doing professionally? Start recording this early. It's going to be really important down the road. The last thing is what experiences do you need to add and what feedback do you need to better ingest? Be, be really thoughtful here. This is going to require some self-awareness. You know, take some surveys on self-awareness. There's a lot of great ones out there. We'll, we'll include some of these in the show notes. But you need to start thinking about what experiences you need to add professionally. Maybe I, I had a good friend that was terrified of presenting in public. But he found himself in a, in a sales position. Like, I don't know, Bobby, I, I don't, how many times a week do you do a presentation in a week? Uh, pretty often, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or lead a big meeting. Or lead a big meeting, right? Um, so he found himself absolutely terrified when he was in this role. Uh, so what he did is he, he got into um, one of these, and it wasn't exactly this, but it was similar to, to one of these um, Toastmasters programs to where you go and you speak you have a you have a speech that's either pre-prepared or you have to speak off the cuff on a subject in front of people that will then critique uh, your presentation and he forced himself down that path and really overcame that fear so start thinking about 
who you are, what you can do well, what do you aspire to do, and then what what experiences do you need to add or feedback do you need to start collecting from mentors to then improve yourself professionally. These are things that are going to help your executive presence down the road. These are going to these are going to be things that if you're applying for the next job, Bobby, and how many times when you're interviewing a candidate, do you always ask them like what are you working on professionally? Uh, every time and they never seem to know uh, what what it is they're working on. So documentation would be great for all of those yeah. past interviewees. I would be I would be shocked. I interview people all the time. I would be shocked if they said, you know, I really I I didn't feel like my presentations were on par where they needed to be, but I'm I'm taking this Toastmasters class or my my executive presence. I found that I'd lose a little bit of confidence and I'd lose a little bit of executive presence when I was put in this situation. But I'm reading this book and I'm working with this mentor on it. This is a coachable person that you want in your team, that you want on your organization. Uh, not not to mention the impact it will make for you professionally straight away. All right, Bobby. So that's a wrap on the first stage. This is uh, all about contributing dependently. Um, again, if you have listened to this episode, uh, make sure you listen to the first one because we've we've covered a lot of concepts in the first one that build on it in the second one. Uh, this next week, we're going to hit on contributing independently. So this is after you've got some wins under your belts, you're going to spend a, a bulk of your professional career in this stage contributing independently. And then in week three, we'll make sure we cover the com- contributing strategically. And then in week four, we'll wrap things up and also cover contribute through others. We appreciate your time today and every day. Thanks for listening to the Textel Show. As always, don't forget, average is the enemy. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show with Bobby and Brian. Subscribe to their email list by going to bobbyandbrian.com and follow them on Twitter at Bobby Brian Sales.